Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are talking about commodities. Is it a commodity super cycle or is it being dominated by just one that's really running it hard? You'll find out inside, but more importantly, you're going to learn why the market is moving in this way and how to profit from it. See you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. That is I. Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Today, we're going to talk super, as super dressed as you are today. <laughs> More importantly, though, we're going to dive into the commodities super cycle. So oil and gas, gold, coal, the lot, inflation, everything else that goes in between it, jam-packed. Big topic and uh, certainly very topical. And if we look back to last year, for example, I think it's the uh, it's the first time for a long, long time that commodities have actually outperformed equity markets when you look at overall returns. So definitely topical. And it's not just last year. We're obviously looking forward to see yeah, what's driving these markets and what we can expect from them over the coming weeks and months. Totally, which is ultimately what we're here to do is to get your view on that, mm. as we know. But if we just take a, a step back for the minute and just take a look at some of the performances we've seen from our commodities, lithium, for example, up over 170% year over year, coal in much the same boat. Uh, we're seeing, for example, natural gas up nearly 71% as well. So it really has been a very, very strong time for these commodities in the last year. Mm. Oh, no doubt. And you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword insofar as the commodity prices are one of the contributing factors to inflation. Uh, and they're also, out of most asset classes, one of the better positioned asset classes to benefit from inflation too. So not only are they the cause, but they're likely to be a big beneficiary or they're certainly one of the causes, that's for sure. Totally. So if we just talk to that a little bit more, mm. AB, in terms of that inflation, uh, we've, we've spoken about this, of course, across a myriad of our podcasts, but that pressure only appears to be boiling up even more so now. How does that add fuel to the fire from the commodities market? Look, commodities typically hold their value on a real basis. Now, what I mean by real basis is after inflation is taken into account. And it's very, very important to look at real returns when you consider investing. Let's say inflation's at three and a half percent. Maybe that's one of the reasons that Philip Lowe finally is going to have to admit defeat and not hold out till 2024 and make a move as we called it this year. He is stubborn though, bear that in mind. Uh, It's almost wrong once, yeah. Um, And and that that inflationary pressure of say three and a half percent, let's say you made six percent on your investment growth you've got to take that 3.5% inflation out to get what is a real return on your money. In other words, you didn't make 6%. Your money on a real basis only grew by 25 because you've got to factor in inflation. So commodity prices typically do quite well under those environments because they're able to charge more. It costs more to get out of the ground, costs more to move it around. Um, and as such, that that increase in price can be passed on very, very easily because you know if you need oil, you need oil. You can't go, it's 10 cents more expensive than I want to pay you got to use it. So they typically fare quite well, particularly compared to other financial instruments. And and, and, and particularly, you know, some stocks uh, are quite susceptible to um, to inflationary pressures and can be you know, eroded quite quite quickly uh, in terms of their business model and so on, their margins. So yeah, the commodities can be an interesting place to play. Certainly traded plenty of commodities in my time in the futures market. Um, but there's a real um, structural argument, I think, for um, having some of this tucked away in your portfolio. And we'll talk perhaps some of the best vehicles to get that as we go on through. Got you. And, and just drawing upon that as well, obviously, inflation being point number one there. Mm. What about as we transition to, to use the word greenification? And I think we spoke about this from for our listeners' benefit, podcast number 40, 2021, from my memory, October 4th, that episode was released. Good memory. James Harwood, our 
friend, portfolio manager responsible in the order of nine billion is a massive advocate for this. How can you add to that? Yeah, good old shoes. If you haven't checked out that uh, broadcast, have a listen to what shoes and I've got to say on that shoes being James Harwood. Um, it, very, very interesting on that ESG perspective, that's for sure. And greenification, if we use that term, actually, I quite like that term. It sort of sums it up nicely. Um, there's a lag factor. Yes, we want to be a greener planet. Um, and that's actually resulted in you know colossal demand for commodities like lithium, cobalt, aluminium, uh, amongst others, uh, you know, some of the rare earths as well uh, thrown in there. Um, as we as we strive to become more effective at producing electronic vehicles or more environmentally sound uh, types of energy, so there's been a huge demand for those commodities, which has gone a long way toward pushing those prices up. I also think, um, you know, when you're looking at greenification, what it also has done is 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 really sort of cast shade, rightly so, perhaps, on some of the fossil fuel industries. If you think, you know, six to 12 months ago, if you talked about anything that had coal involvement with it, nobody really wanted to know. It was a, it was a very much an unloved asset class, yet we've seen the price perform very, very well, because whilst the long-term goal may be greenification, the short-term fix, unfortunately, is continuing to use fossil fuel to generate our electricity, to manufacture you know, our aluminium uh, or, or refine some of our commodities. You know, we talked, I think, uh, a number of podcasts ago about the process of, of of creating lithium and how environmentally unfriendly that is. So, you know, there's been a huge demand for coal and there will continue to be that, you know, we're also seeing, you know, coal prices move higher on demand for steel production and things like that as, as, as China continues to try and prop up its economy. So, you know, the big issue, uh, I think, in the fossil fuel space uh, more specifically has probably been, you know, Perhaps, uh, and, and I think there are really three factors there: a, a, a drop in investment in there, creating a, a constraint on, on on supply down the line. And I guess we'll talk to that in, in a few moments' time. But greenification is a huge one uh, that's been driving uh, those underlying commodity prices along. That's for sure. And in new areas like lithium and so on, as I say, rather than your traditional price uh, rises that you see in inflation times in gold, gold really hasn't performed, and we'll explain why in a minute. All right. Well, before we do that, let's talk about an asset that has performed and really has been at the forefront of a lot of our in investors' minds, and that is oil and gas, mm. particularly oil prices. I think we've just cracked over $93 yep. a barrel at the time of this recording. Mm. I know you've got some pretty lofty price targets for oil. So how can you uh, explain on that, A.B.? Yeah, big move on Friday uh, that we saw, that's for sure. And and yeah, I think we're, we're, we're not done with oil by any stretch of the imagination. North of 100 uh, easily, I think, is something that we're going to see this year. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Of course, yeah, the flip side of that is more pain at the Bowser. Uh, we're already paying stratospherically high prices for fuel here in Australia already, uh, and 100 bucks a barrel is going to tip that uh, tip that set of scales uh, over. And that's a, that's a huge hidden tax, I think, for a lot of Australian households, you know, petrol or diesel uh, being one of the largest weekly uh, outgoings for a lot of households. So there's a lot more pain to come, more inflationary pressure to come on the back of that, of course, which supports the case for having higher interest rates in Australia. So, you know, if we look at um, you know three aspects to uh, why uh, there's a view on oil that's as bullish as it is, um, number one uh, is the reserves that we have, and we already saw the US tap into its strategic reserve uh, just a little while back, a couple of months ago, uh, and and those reserves are running lower typically. So you're starting to see a drawdown there in terms of inventory. Just to stop you there, mm. just for the, the benefit of our listeners, when you say reserve, that's of course the US allowing mm. free flow of more barrels of oil. Is that mm. correct to increase supply? Yeah, there's a strategic reserve uh, that the US keeps, and, and and most countries do. We Australia have a strategic fuel reserve, except for as is kept in America. 
America, even though it's supposed to be here, but that's a, a conversation for another time. Um, so yeah, they have a strategic reserve and, and, and at the point in time, um, the administration decided that prices were becoming you know, not fun for the consumer and artificially jacked up, and we'll talk about why in a moment. Uh, and so they released some of that strategic reserve, more supply pushes price down effectively and sort of smooths things out in an attempt uh, to try and rein in inflation, which of course is rampant and out of control in the US. All right. So that point number one, what else have we got? Point two and three is to the case for oil. Yeah. The second one. So we've talked about inventory and, and that number yeah, is, is relatively thin. Secondly is uh, is capacity uh, and OPEC's capacity to produce more oil is actually relatively fixed. Yeah. You can pump more barrels a day, um, but overall really expanding the ability to supply is actually fairly limited because you've got to find more sources and more production outlets for it. So you've got you know, a, a fall in, in, in reserves uh, and, in, uh, and, and an inability, if you will, of OPEC to really substantially increase capacity. Why is capacity needed to be increased? Well, as the economy opens up post-COVID, demand, people traveling around. You got to remember, there's been very little air travel, for example, uh, in the last two years. And now we're at a situation where we can start to travel again. Got a trip to the US in a few weeks' time. You know, that's a new thing and it's going to demand more oil. So there's a requirement to to have that new supply coming on. And I think the third one, and this this is a far longer term impact and this will significantly impact oil prices over the next decade plus and we're not talking about trading over the next decade we're talking about this year um, is a lack of investment given the fact that it's been you know politically unappealing in, in to, a, to a large extent to invest in in, in fossil fuels and high carbon uh, type fuels there's been a, a, a real slowdown uh, in investment in that space and if you look at the investment in the oil and gas sector you know that really tapped out in I think about 2013 2014 and it's steadily declined since then and really fell off a cliff in 2020 and so that lack of new investment doesn't just create supply problems in the in the immediacy that's also creating supply problems down the line. You know, really quite substantially. And as I say, you know, you move the clock out a decade or so, and you're going to see that. And that's really priced in if you look at forward prices for all too. So there are three factors there. The one that I haven't spoken to in those three factors. So, you know, a, a lack of inventory or, or savings of oil. Number two is that capacity to produce more. And number three is the investment in bringing on new, new strands. And you kind of can understand why that investment hasn't been there because, you know, globally we've been committed to a platform of greenification, so we shouldn't need it. Um, the one I haven't talked about is geopolitics. Uh, and obviously, you know, given the situation with, you know, Russia and the Ukraine right now, uh, and, you know, Russia is a really substantial player in the in the hydrocarbon space. I mean, they supply Germany pretty much with all their natural gas uh, for heating and so on. Uh, and as a consequence, you know, if, if there's a conflict there and there are trade sanctions on the part of the US against Russia, which has already been talked of, uh, and then vice versa, energy supply going back the other way being turned down, you really have got the ability to see rather like you would when you look at the VIX index and that volatility curve, you have quite a substantial spike higher in, in the very short term. So where to get exposure to this? You know, as I say, I've traded you know commodities uh, in the futures markets for many, many years. Um, that's not a place to go. Uh, if you're, that's a big end of town. It's right? the big end of town, and if you're Joe Bagger Donuts, mum and dad investor, that's that's really not entry level. Um, you can do it using CFDs if you wanted to bring it in, but it's still still a very tricky space to play. And I'd be more inclined, uh, as has been my sort of purpose over the last few months, as we're um, reschooling uh, the, the audience out there, to look at the ETF market. And if you look at something like USO, for example, US oil futures uh, contained in an ETF, it's a much easier way of transacting. It's been performing very very well. Um, 
um, you know, it's one of the picks that we've had in our managed portfolio um, recommendation service for USO as well um, for all of these reasons. And so that's that's popped, and I suspect it's got some significantly um, higher upside. Uh, up its sleeve over the next six months or so. Um, you can trade options around that. You do cover calls over that to generate income from it. There's a myriad of different things that you can do, but I guess picking that underlying asset, the right kind of underlying asset that that is not too volatile to trade, but is going to give you that ability to trade this view is is pretty important. XLE, another example yep. there, broad market um, exposure to, to the energy, XLE. Absolutely. And again, you've got the uh, ability there being perhaps a little bit more diversified away from just oil. Um, this one, I think, is an oil play. I really do see that over the next little while. And, you know, I guess it comes back to, okay, we're in times of inflation, so why aren't we talking about gold? And, you know, we've muted this a few times now where, you know, the case for gold uh, as an inflation hedge this time around really hasn't kind of stuck. It's had a little bit of movement recently, but nothing that you would expect in this high inflation environment. And I believe that you know, part and parcel of that is, um, you know, if you're buying gold as a non-yielding asset for a start, um, and uh, you, you're long US dollars, so you're getting no yield and you're holding what effectively should be a depreciating currency given the amount of dollars that have been printed. And so that, and, and also competition, I think, from crypto as a, as a genuine, <clears throat> as a genuine non-correlated, uh, non-fiat, uh, type exposure to hedge yourself from inflation, which is a first. We haven't been through a cycle where we've had crypto doing that. Crypto is technically a commodity, right? There's only a finite amount. Mm. So. Absolutely, yep. Uh, and and so there's another way of uh, that's certainly got some volatility associated with it, and it's not everyone's uh, everyone's cup of tea. Uh, where I think oil versus gold, and why I'm more bullish on oil than I am gold, is just simply momentum. And I think one of the things that we've spoken about previously is this year is going to be a different type of year for trading. And if stuff's got momentum, it's likely to continue to have momentum. And oil very much has that jump start versus gold. And people typically are trying to feel for those opportunities in the market that already got some inertia and they can kind of hit, hitch the hitch the trailer to and ride along with. So hence, yeah, oil over gold is a, as an inflation play this year uh, is very much how I see it. Commodity super cycle, there's a lot in that AB, oil being the, uh, the star of the mm. show here. Any other final words before we cap off today? Look, it's a dry subject and there's a, there's a lot of sort of macroeconomics, I suppose, in there in terms of how all of that comes together. Uh, the reality is that investing is... Is not easy, but it's not as hard as people might think either. And and what we've talked about is a very logical um, long-term and short-term case for why um, the oil represents a good investment opportunity at these kind of price levels. And for anyone that's new out there listening to something like this, if it kind of makes sense and you're nodding your head going, yeah, that kind of makes sense, yeah, that kind of makes sense, you're on the right lines. It doesn't have to be particularly sophisticated. If it makes sense from a logical or, or common sense perspective, you're probably in the right place uh, to make your decision. If you're listening to this and you go, that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Firstly, apologies for failing you and not being able to, I guess, articulate this clearly enough so you can understand. Um, and that's my bad. Uh, but if it doesn't make sense to you, then don't do it. Simple as that. You've got to find something that, that, that sits logically with you that makes sense from a common sense perspective. And I think, you know, the case for all right now is certainly very, very strong versus uh, versus other commodities. And, and inflation is not going anywhere, uh, not for a little while. We're going to go into a tightening environment where we see interest rates move higher, uh, both in the US and here in Australia. Uh, and and again, normally under those circumstances, um, well, 
think where the where the action's been in markets over the last couple of years, the tech sector in an inflationary environment, the tech sector is probably one of the worst places to be given 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 the impact of inflation on on company earnings in the future. So yeah, you've got yourself a little bit more of a defensive position, I think, uh, for a portfolio. And if you're in self-managed super and you've got the ability to listen to this and go, okay, that's probably not a bad idea to hedge out some of my risk, go buy an ETF, uh, nice and easy, one, one click, and you're effectively um, giving yourself the ability to hedge out some of that inflation pressure. Nice one, AB. Sage advice, as always. Thanks very much for your for your advice today. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.